How many came this morning with great expectation? Remember, I don't know who said this, but it was a quote that expectation is the mother of manifestation. So, man, keep your expectation up. God is so good, and he's moving. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wow. I want to begin something today that's going to go on for several weeks. We are going to have different perspectives uh, come forward and share on this area that I'm about to embark on this journey. But I just kind of want to set the foundation for where we're going today. And I want to start by a kind of a quirky place in the scripture. First uh, Chronicles 21 is a story of David. That it starts out with Satan coming and enticing David to do this census. And somewhere in David's thinking, he got this thought that I need to take a census. I would need to know how many men I have. And it was all about numbers. And God was not happy. God said, you know, God wanted David all along to trust him with everything. But for some reason, we do read that Satan came and enticed David, put the thought in his head, the notion, the idea, whatever it was, to go forward with taking some numbers. And even his own men, just his, his, one of his main men just said, hey, and I'm going to paraphrase this chapter really quick because I want to move on, but he just said, hey, this isn't right. Nevertheless, he went ahead and did what David told him to do. And God, again, was not happy. And, and David had a seer. His name was Gad. And the seer came to, God came to the seer and said, hey, you need to go tell David this. David, you blew it. But you have three choices Three choices. One was three years of famine. The second choice was three months of devastation by his enemy's sword. Or the third one was three days of the sword of the Lord, which was pestilence, plague. And David chose the latter. And we read in there something like 70,000 men died. Fighting men of Israel died in three days. Whew, that's a big spanking. And David, David was told to go and build an altar and a sacrifice to the Lord. And he was told to go to a certain man's property. And he said, acquire the property and, 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 and do this big sacrifice to me and build this altar. So David goes. And the man says, David, he bows on the ground. He says, David, oh, king, man. And David explains what he wants to do. We want to purchase your land. This is what God told me to do. This is what I want to do. And the man says, no, the property, it's all yours. It's yours. And David says this, and this is what I want you guys to start with today. He says, he actually cautions us with these words. He says in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, If it costs us nothing, then it's not worth offering to the Lord. Do you hear that? If it costs you nothing, it's not worth offering to the Lord. Years ago, you know, and, and, and it's throughout my life, I've learned a couple things. Just a couple. But one is that with any journey, there are two things you need to watch out for. One is to expect the unexpected. The second one is to be prepared to be inconvenienced. How many of us have started a journey and the unexpected happened? You didn't have one flat, you had 12 flats. And you only have four tires. How does that work? 
And, and it, it never happens in front of a, a Les Schwab. It is so inconvenient. It's, it, it just it, it doesn't seem to ever pencil out or work out right. We're totally inconvenienced with the flat tire, right? Or whatever happens. You work hard to get, make sure everything's right, you got everything in its place, but something inevitably happens and the unexpected pops up. Well, I'll tell you, on our journey of faith, you have got to learn to expect the unexpected and to be prepared for and to be inconvenienced. It's not easy, is it, walking this walk? Years ago, my wife and I, we bought a piece of property, and it had this old home on it that, that we had torn out, and we were having a new home put in there, and oh my goodness, we had no idea how much we were about to be inconvenienced. We brought in this motorhome that we are going to live in, and we were told, oh, it should only take this amount of time. And it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And it was hurry up and wait. It was, you know, there's just going to be a longer delay. Kelly, where are you at? You know this one. And it just goes on and on. You guys have probably experienced it, and those with you that have had a home or anything built on you, it just takes forever. And today, if you try to get a contractor, oh, I, got, uh, I can pencil you in three years from now. It, Expect the unexpected when you start the journey and prepare to be inconvenienced. And what happened was, is we saw all of this stuff go on. We're living in this motorhome. My daughter came home from college. Now we're all crammed in the motorhome and it wasn't fun. We had all of our stuff stored in the garage. So if you needed anything, you had to go out to the garage to get, bring, I mean, it was a mess. But I'll tell you what, <clears throat> when it all came together, when everything was finished, it finally, when we got the keys and the certificate of occupancy it was like a woohoo moment. And joy began to fill our hearts because God had given us that. But I'm just telling you, in the journey, be prepared to be inconvenienced. If we want to see revival in our midst, and I believe that is our heart. I believe that that is the heart of every one of our tribal members here. We want to see revival happen in this house, in our hearts, in our city, in our community, in our circles of influence. But I'm telling you, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something, and be prepared to be inconvenienced. You know, for some people, <clears throat> the intensity, and this is just my experience, the intensity and the inconvenience is reason enough to not go after some of the things of the Spirit. Some might say, it's just too much work. Been there, done that. It, pff, it didn't pencil out. It didn't work. And we give up, we get tired, and we just want to sit and warm up here. We don't want to get involved anymore. Because we've been burned, we get tired, whatever the case may be. But I, I tell you, one of the other things is <clears throat> sometimes because it, it gets wonky and weird and kind of messy in church, and especially when the Spirit of God begins to move, that it's like, ooh, uh, that's just, uh, that's not me. I'm not going there. And then you sit down, and you just become a spectator and not a participator. You know, in today's culture, I have watched people uh, say the same thing and, and react the same way regarding the choices that they make for the future. It's like, if this is going to cost me that much, I ain't going there. It, it's just too hard. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't want to work towards purchasing a home or whatever the case may be. But it's just too much work. I don't want to go there. And you just sit down and you, you just settle for less. You settle for the good and not the great. Amen? That's true. You know, again, David says, if it costs us nothing, then it's not worth offering to the Lord. 
And in this, in this season of entitlement where people think they're entitled to everything, it doesn't work that way. It's got to cost us something, and then we place great value in it. You know, so what I'm about to share as we move forward is I want you to prepare to be inconvenienced, okay? So put your seatbelts on. In the garden, be, before the curse, God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And Adam and Eve were given charge and dominion over the garden, right? That's what their, their responsibility was, to take care of it. To make sure you keep everything going and flowing and everything. That was just what God expected of them. That was their job. And you guys know the story. <clears throat> God says, get to work. And then sin occurs. We know the story again. And, and then when that moment when sin came into the garden, everything got messed up. Everything went sideways. Flash forward to Jesus dying on the cross. Just before he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And then after he resurrected, Again, he's walking with his guys before he ascends into heaven. And he says, look guys, I've done my part. I've got your back. You're covered. Your, your sins are done with. You're no longer slaves to it. You're free men. Walk like free men. Talk like free men. Live your lives like free men. But most importantly, get back to work. And Jesus said, go. And it's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, hey, look, guys, I, I came and I started. I brought the kingdom I touched it to earth. Now it's your job to carry it forward. It's your job to expand the kingdom here on earth. And Jesus gave us the, the great commission as kind of the, the pattern we're supposed to follow after. And we're commissioned to go out and to preach Jesus to the lost and to a dying world. Right? This is basic, basic stuff. <clears throat> but this morning, I want to talk about that E word. The E word. Evangelism. Some people, when you tar start talking about evangelism, they kind of go on their ear and slide for about 10 feet. And a lot of it's because of their history. Uh, they've, they've been there, done that, got tired, got burned out. Um, they just had a bad experience, whatever the case may be. But I'm telling you, I think there's a much better way to evangelize. And we want to open you up to, to me, evangelism is like a multi multifaceted gym. There's all kinds of sides to it. And I want you guys to be exposed to different sides and aspects of evangelism. There is not one size fits all. I don't believe that. Now, the message is always the same. Jesus wants to be your Lord and your King. Amen? But the way we explain and we share that with people is really, really uniquely different in kind of how we're wired. A lot of people will say, hey, look, <clears throat> Pastor, that's the work of an evangelist. In fact, I read in Ephesians chapter 4 that that's one of the five-fold ministries is evangelism. There's an evangelist. It's a person that does that. <clears throat> that evangelist in the five-fold, their job is to equip other evangelists. That's their job. Their job's not to carry the full load. Their job is to call out the evangelistic spirit within all of us. Amen? So... <clears throat> So these people that say I'm not called to be an evangelist and some, I've heard people think, call and, you know, and talk to me and say, hey, you know, I, I have a hard time with that. I, I think I'm called to be a silent witness. <laughs> I, I'm just going to live my life in a way that they, 
somehow hear and learn about Jesus through my life. I, I don't know how that works for you, but I worked with this guy for years, and then someone said, made a comment that, that they were upset with this guy, and they said, you want that guy to teach your kids Sunday school? I had no idea he was even a Christian. And I asked him, I said, where's your witness, bro? He goes, I am a silent witness. Well, it's not working, bro, because I had no clue that you were a believer. <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, um, we have a lot of people that are in this journey of, of sanctification where, and I don't know, John Wesley teaches, you know, there's this partial sanctification, there's this fully sanctified. I, I don't know where you're at in the journey, I don't know where you're at in your theology and that, but I just know that when I got saved, all of me got saved. Not just my ear, not just whatever, a foot or something, but all of me got saved. And, and, and my wife and I, we were, came out of the Jesus movement and we... All, all parts of our being were saved, and we were all in. <clears throat> I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I just, I don't have a testimony. Every one of us has a story of our encounter with Jesus, if we're a believer. I think one of the main issues is, for most people, it's the fear of rejection. It's the fear of rejection. You go up to start to talk to somebody, and they reject you. I'm telling you guys, if I've learned another thing in my life is, do not let fear of rejection define who you are. Press through it. Boy, I've got cotton mouth like crazy this morning. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Verses 12 and 13. I, I truly believe that in Christ, in Christ... Because we are in Christ, we're in this union with Christ, I believe that we can do all things that he has called us to. I believe that with all of my heart. And there's this cool scripture. Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 12 through 13, he says, I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance, for I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger, and I find that strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Do you know that explosive power of Jesus? Have you ever felt that? Thank you, Cyril. <clears throat> Man, Paul says, and I find the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. In our journey of faith, there will be many difficulties that we will encounter. There will be many inconveniences. But I'm telling you, if you have Christ in you, there is an explosive power inside of you that can overcome all of those obstacles in your way. Amen? Guys, we are so loved by the Father. I hope you felt that this morning, that how you were loved by the Father. How many felt the love of the Father this morning? It was a powerful, powerful, powerful moment. Thank you, Gary. That, what a gift. I, thank you for taking us there. But if that's the case, then we should be living our lives like we know that we are accepted, and we know that we are loved, and we're well-raised children of God. That's how we should be living our lives and showing the world that we get that we, we're, we're fully loved. We're fully embraced by the Father. And, and we're growing up like well-raised children of God. Guys, we, you and I, were created in the image and in the likeness of a hard-working God. 
and a committed trinity that is fully invested in the restoration of all things. That's who and what we're part of. And Jesus, if you read anything about his life in the scriptures, you will see that he was totally, absolutely, totally dependent upon the Father. And in everything he did, in everything he put his hand to, he did it for who? Himself? He did it for the Father. Do you think Jesus was ever inconvenienced? Probably many times. I think getting on the cross to me would be a huge inconvenience. But he did it because that was the Father's heart. That's what the Father wanted. So he lived totally dependent on the Father. In John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. He says, verily, verily, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. It's amazing when you read through the scriptures, you see the beauty of this harmony that they worked in with each other. The Father and the Son working together along with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing when we read that and see how that worked and how they flowed and, and moved through the history of, the, uh, of, of just the early. But when we read God's word, we just see how they flowed and worked together. And you know, at the end of the day, I'm back to go. Jesus went out, he set captives free, and that's what he has told us to do the same. But here's where it got for me. My journey started years ago when I first came to Jesus and, and we, we, we moved in into a, a ministry where we, we went out on the streets every night. Friday nights was a big night, and we preached the gospel. But back then, it was about, evangelism was more about, are you saved? Are you saved? <clears throat> because if you're not, you're going to hell. Do you, do you know if, if you have Jesus in your heart, you'll make it to heaven? I mean, it, it was all about a law. They're, they're, and when I look back, I, I, I just I struggled, but this is how we were taught. It was all about the law and how we had to line up with the law, and unless we did, we were going to burn. And we weren't going to go there. We were going there. And that was pounded into us, pounded into us. So on the street, it was more of an argument. And you would argue people through this journey of the, whether it was the Ten Commandments or other arguments, you would bring them into this place where, you know, if you don't have Jesus, it's over. You're done. In fact, God, we gave this impression that God is so mad at you. He's ready to light your pants on fire if you just don't give your heart to him. Right now. Get on your knees. Let's pray. I've seen guys get savage with people. And something in my heart was just like, this isn't right. This isn't right. Well, later, I have, I have, my heart has moved to this greater understanding that evangelism not only involves proclamation, but it also demands a demonstration of God's love. And, and this is where my heart changed dramatically. And, and so in one way of preaching Jesus and presenting the gospel, it was all about the law. But in another way, it was all about love. And I found love to be the more excellent way. You know, when, when we encountered people that were struggling and we knew that they were lost, so lost, so broken, so wounded, and, and you start putting the law on them, it just crushes them. But we begin to say, oh, wait a minute, God's not mad at you. He loves you. And then couple that with the Holy Spirit and words of knowledge would begin to come. Woo! It took on a whole new meaning for me in, the, in, the, in terms of evangelism. You know, the ministry of Jesus in Signs and Wonders was really based on his relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is creative. The Holy Spirit is imaginative, Imag has, <clears throat> is an imaginative Excuse me, man. 
fast and inventive. The Holy Spirit is amazing. When you couple with the Holy Spirit in ministering to people and presenting the gospel, it is amazing what happens. It's so amazing. <clears throat> One of the things um, I learned too was, you know, over, over the years, you, you can't just reduce the ministry of Jesus in terms of preaching the gospel to just simply a group of some kind of simplistic techniques or formulas. There is not one size fits all. When I first became a believer, we were pounded in our heads that you had to teach a certain way. You had to show them in the word how wrong they were and how they didn't line up to anything other than if they didn't line up with this, they were doomed. They were done. We would go out with tracks and all kinds of stuff and, and, and try to get this argument out on this piece of paper and get them to agree to it. It was ugly. It, in the end, there was no love in it at all. Now, I'm not anti-track. I've seen chick tracks. My cousin had an incredible encounter with God with a chick track that I'd given him to him years ago when I left camp. And I was probably 12 years old, and I handed him this chick track, and he just kind of tossed it. But years later, in a dark moment in his life, man, when he was burning everything, that chick track came out, and he looked at it, and he gave his heart to Jesus. So I know that, 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 that there's so many different ways that people can find Jesus. But John Wimber... John Wimber wrote a book called Power Evangelism. How many have read the book Power Evangelism? Wow, just a few of us. Well, I'm going I'm to read something. John said, in the book Power Evangelism, John said, my hope and goal is to provide a new perspective on old information, a new understanding of biblical accounts of the supernatural and how they apply to us today. Now, he wrote this in, what, 82, I think, somewhere around there in the early 80s, he wrote that book. And then he went on to say, I do not believe that it is enough for Christians to just gather information, understand new facts, even think differently about the supernatural in Scripture if it does not affect how we live. Wow. John Wimber knew that the Scriptures held incredible, incredible promise. Incredible, uh, we'll call it energy. It was just stored in the scriptures. There had to be a, a way to release that into people's lives. And he coined this term power evangelism. And, and this morning, I just want to bounce off this for a moment, but <clears throat> let me finish up on John Wimber. When John Wimber was describing the basis for power evangelism, he says, it is both scriptural and a personal experience of the miraculous. Scripture must always be the primary source and basis for our practice. But our experience of supernatural truth makes it come alive, pressing it deeply into our hearts. And he finished out with, the purpose of our learning is to experience and advance the kingdom of God. We want to help you learn new skills and how to apply them to your life, especially in the practice of personal evangelism. And this is where we're going to be going in, in some of the weeks to come. Next week, we have Keith and Susan Shad totally outside of the box. They're going to be coming, and they're going to bring a, um, a whole new creative, imaginative way of sharing the gospel. Now, the baseline message that never changes. We never want to change the message that God loves you. You've got to give your heart and life to him. But there's another way to do it when you couple it with the Holy Spirit. So power evangelism. How many have heard the term power evangelism? <clears throat> How many of you have heard the term supernatural ministry? Okay, kind of a 50-50 split. So power evangelism is this. Power evangelism, in a nutshell, is really partnering with the Holy Spirit 
to see the kingdom of God touch the hearts and lives of broken and wounded people. Now, you can go to the people with just the truth of the word, and, and some people hear it, some people don't, but when you couple that with the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like this. If, if, I, if I come up to you and I just say, hey, um, Jesus loves you, that's a very nice, kind thing to say and do, right? It's true. Jesus does love them. He loves all of us, right? But if the Holy Spirit, if I'm out there on the street and I'm just sharing the love of Jesus with people, if I hear the Holy Spirit say, go tell that lady that I love her and tell her why I love her. So now I go up to this lady and I say, you know, Jesus loves you and this is why he loves you. And Jesus attaches something in that message that she only knows. What happened? The explosive power of Christ just birthed forth. You know, I believe with all my heart that in church and outside of church, in us as a person, as a a man or woman of faith, I believe that we should be both announcing and demonstrating the kingdom of God wherever we go. Amen? We should be preaching Jesus, and we should be demonstrating Jesus. Yeah. The interesting part about power evangelism is it is... It is the gospel presentation which is both rational, but yet it transcends the rational. Do you hear that? It transcends the rational. Sometimes it's so outside of our box, we're like, what? What? How many of you have ever had an encounter with Jesus that was so outside of the box? Yeah. Well, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and we go up and we meet people that are, that are just on the peripheral and we go out and we have the Holy Spirit flowing through us to them, they have that same experience. It, 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 it introduces them to the numinous of God, that divine power, that moment where they go, well, that was weird. That was really strange. How many of you have ever experienced that divine numinous part of God where you're just all of a sudden you just know that you know that something outside of, it doesn't make sense, but it happened. When we encounter people that are broken and wounded and we lay hands on them or we pray for them, or whatever, God gives us a word of knowledge for them, whatever that looks like, they have that moment. And that's when the door opens. And they begin to realize, wow, there is something bigger than me. There is something out there that's larger than I. And man, their ears will open even wider. You know, John wrote in a book, he, in his book, he wrote um, an interview that happened in Christianity Today, and this was back in 92. But it says, how do Christians witness and evangelize in China? That was the question that was asked. And, and I have talked to missionaries, Brian Crawford, who's pastor in Wolf Creek now, he was a missionary for, I don't know, 10, 13 years in China. And he said, at the end of the day, they felt that when communism came in, it was the best thing that ever happened to the church. It's an odd thing to say, but he said, the strength of those believers was off the hook. There was no wishy-washy. You were either in or you were out. There was none of this hiding stuff. You know, you were either in or you were out. And here's what it said. It said, the, 
most basic form of evangelism is through personal friendship. This is, this is how you witness and evangelize in China. The most basic form of evangelism is through personal friendships in which the gospel is shared with relatives and neighbors. Well, I think we could check that box off for some of us. We share the gospel with our neighbors and our friends around us. I hope you do. But it says, the testimony of unanswered prayer, especially in healing the sick, has led many to faith in Christ. You tell them about Jesus, then you pray for them, and Jesus shows up, and he manifests. That's a game changer, right? And then it says, in one, in one of the large labor camps, a demented woman who no doctor or psychiatrist had been able to help, it sounds like she may have been demonized, was placed in the same room with a Christian sister. As a result of the Christian sister's loving care and prayer, the woman was completely healed. There's power in his presence. And you, if you're in Christ, you should be carrying that presence oh, incredibly well. The whole camp realized that the living God had acted when the woman was healed. Do you see how the miraculous has such a wave effect? So that's what I love about power evangelism. Not only are we sharing Jesus at this level, but when we couple it with the Holy Spirit, it brings in this supernatural element where the miraculous happens and the, and, and the numinous of God, that divine power shows up and it changes everything. In one area, there were 4,000 Christians before the revolution. The number now has increased to 90,000 with 1,000 meeting places. Christians in that region, re, <clears throat> region gave three reasons for the rapid increase quickly. The faithful witness of the Christians in the midst of suffering. In the midst of this pandemic and all this stuff that happened in 2020, how are you in being faithful to witness? I, I'm just asking. You know, you, you, only you can answer that. The number, number two, the power God is, is seen in healing the sick. Oh. You know, I, Ravella gave me a piece of paper. I don't have it with me, but a doctor in town started talking with Ravella, and they were interacting in this conversation. He's, and he says, well, if you want to get prayer for healing, there are two churches that you can go to that you get prayer, and, 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 and they just watch healing work through prayer. Bethel, out of California, and the other one was Vineyard here in Grants Pass. So these chairs and your ministry to others as you walk in, 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 in power evangelism is reaching people bigger than we think. Amen? I thought that was powerful. Thank you, Ravella. That was powerful. That, that, and, and it doesn't, it, it had nothing to do with our theology or anything other than the manifest presence shows up when these people pray and there's healing that happens. I love that. So, <clears throat> at the end of the day, power evangelism is supernatural ministry to me. That's where I've come to land my, my, my feet in, and supernatural ministry to me is bringing heaven to earth. And all that I do, when I go out and meet and talk with people, my wife goes crazy when I go somewhere because I want to talk to everybody. But I'm looking for, it's kind of like you're, you're fishing, you're throwing out the hook. And you're waiting for someone to kind of take the hook, so take the bait, so to speak. And, and then they, you start up this conversation. Next thing you know, God just starts speaking to your heart and says this or this or this about them. And it kind of guides the conversation. Next thing you know, you're talking about God. They're pouring out their life. They're sharing their hearts and their dreams and all kinds of stuff with you. What a great moment. How many of you experienced that? 
Well, we want to we help you guys grow in some of this stuff and, and, and learn how to even make Jesus more famous. Next week, <clears throat> next Friday night um, at 7 o'clock here, I talked to Keith about this. So this coming Friday night, the 23rd, right here in this building, we're going to have an out-of-the-box evangelism training session <clears throat> where they're going to bring they're going to bring some of their um, stories and, and methods and things that they've used in a very, conf- uh, probably a very uh, um, controversial place <clears throat> in terms of just the traffic and the demographics of where they're at. Monterey Bay, right? Is that where they're at? Yeah. And so they're going to bring some of the techniques that they've seen work that punches through a lot of that darkness. And some of it, I'm going to tell you, some of it will be so outside of the box, you're probably going to go, what? But have an open heart. Keith is a big believer in, 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 in the main message of Jesus and the power of who he is. It never changes. But the way we can present that can be uniquely different. And I want us to be open. Again, we're going to have different people over this season share different perspectives on this. But one of the things you're going to do, <clears throat> he says, this is his words, if you are comfortable praying for the sick and prophesying for folks, come and learn some effective new ministry tools to reach those who you may not be normally able to reach. <clears throat> Guys, I, I, I love the prophetic ministry. That's <clears throat> just totally in my wheelhouse. I love coming alongside people and standing next to them and helping them be all that God's calling them to be. That's my passion. And I love, I love meeting these people and talking with these people. And I love exploring a new expressive ways of, of just presenting the gospel to them in a way that has handles that they can get their hands on. I, I, I've learned a long time ago, like my son, he will, he will march into bars. He'll take candy bars with him. He'll take candy bars and, and roses with him. Now, most of you don't feel called to walk into a bar. But he feels called to walk into a bar. And he'll walk in there and he'll hand him candy bar and roses. And he just, he's outside of the box of the normal evangelism we've seen. And I'm not saying that's right, that's better. I'm just saying that's how it works for him. But the point is, is he's getting the message across. Hey, buddy, you really don't need to be here. God wants to heal you. God wants to touch your life. And a lot of times it's, it's God will download even more stuff. You know, you got, you got some issues here or there, whatever. I've seen that happen time and time again. What, what, what their heart is also, Keith and Susan's heart is, they want to teach you how to connect people to God. And that's really what we do in the prophetic ministry is we're simply the phone booth. Yeah, okay, Father. Hey, buddy, this, this is for you, man. This phone call's from God. It's for you. And yeah, he loves you, but he wants to share a few more things with you. So here, listen. I love that stuff. Barb Meyer, she's, she's superwoman at going out and, and, and just coming along people, writing our list out, doing the treasure hunts. It's just another way of sharing Jesus. And it opens up the door so many different ways. So <clears throat> I hope you guys can make it next Sunday, next Friday night, 7 o'clock, this coming Friday, I'm sorry, right here. And then Saturday, it's kind of a precursor to Saturday, is a drum circle. Some people are asking, what is a drum circle? I have no idea. No. I, I, I can say this about drum circles. Drum circles, when I first encountered one, was at a church in Ashland with Ron Timmon, and Bethel came up, and Jerry, I can't think of Jerry Mar- 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 Marlene, their last name, but um, what are they? Arisons. Yeah, they are uh, <clears throat> Native American, Jerry is, 
And they had a drum circle there at the church, and they recorded. It was a powerful, powerful, powerful moment. And we took that recording, and we went up on top of Wolf Creek. And I think Don and Dunny, I think you guys were there. And, and we played that through this big old speaker. We played it on top of the highest mountain above Wolf Creek, and we blasted it over the whole community. And it was at a time when that community was in a dark, dark hole. And it's still a rough community. But I'll tell you, we begin to see God do powerful things. <clears throat> but the thing is, is coming to the drum circle, you don't have to engage in the drum circle itself. It draws people to something. They're checking it out. But it gives you and I an opportunity to be on the peripheral and be asking, Holy Spirit, who would you have me engage with? Who do you want me to have uh, in front of me so I can speak your heart into their, into their heart, into their life, whatever the case may be? So that's the drum circle. That uh, starts at 2 and goes 2 to 4 on Saturday, this coming Saturday. So there's a lot of opportunities for us to learn and to grow and to present Jesus in a, a, a unique way, a different way. At Riverside Park, yes. I, I, do we know exactly where at the park? Where? The upper one? Okay, the lower one. Okay. So the lower gazebo is where we'll be at. Where we'll be at. Okay. Wow. So let's stand. Yes. Yeah. Barb? Jason, you got Mike here. Try that. While you were sharing, I this word dropped into my mind it, very loud. It said lock and key. And then you talked about open doors <laughs> right after that. Yeah. So I feel like this is a word that the Lord wants to open doors for you guys, for everybody. He's got the key to unlock the doors of whatever is holding you back. He, he's the key. He's the door opener, and he wants to uh, set you free, whatever it is. And also, I have a fishing story. Ooh. Years ago, Roy and I took a dinner to someone who was not feeling well, and he, he, we told him we were going to go. We were going fishing. It was the one out of two times in our lives that we ever went fishing. And so we went to the boat launch thing over on Lower River Road, and, oh, he said, oh, well, I pray that you will be fishers of men, and we kind of laughed. So we get to the boat landing, and there's a couple there, and the fellow's in the river struggling because he dislocated his shoulder in the river and he couldn't get out. He couldn't swim and Roy had to go and pull him out of the river. So he literally was a fisher of men. <laughs> and this couple was from Germany. They were on the, this $100 bus tour where you could go all around the United States. And they ended up in the Roe River. So we took them home with us, and they spent about three days with us, camped in our backyard. Oh, my goodness. And we got to share Jesus with them. And I don't know whatever became of them, but um, God literally, Holy Spirit does have a sense of humor, and he's very creative. So good. So good. You can sit there. 
I just know when you go out and you get out of your comfort zone, be prepared to be inconvenienced. It, it sacrifices. This is my time. It's my day. I, I don't know. There's something about if it doesn't cost us something, it's not worth offering to the Lord. I, that's, that's a big thing to me. So let's just stand. Let's close in prayer and get you guys out of here. So, Father, I just thank you for what you are doing in our midst. And, Father, I, I just pray, God, that when the buses come, we will be prepared. Thank you, God. Father, I just know that you have all of us on an incredible journey. But, Father, I just pray that on this journey we could hear your voice. And, Father, we could take great comfort in knowing that you are leading us and you are guiding us as we just each moment surrender to you, God. Thank you, Lord. And, Father, I just pray for this tribe that's here today and beyond. I, I, I thank you for Greg and Teresa. Man, they're in Belize preaching the gospel today. And Lewis and Rose is, is way up in Yakima just uh, at a conference of being used by you. I, I just thank you, God, for the way that you use our people to express you in other places around the country, if not the world, Lord. And we say yes to more of that, Father. Mm. Thank you, God. And Father, I pray for divine health over everybody in our tribe, God, that you would continue to align everything in our body with your kingdom. Thank you, God. And we just thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you Friday night.